When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Flight Deck, an inside look at the New York Jets. I'm your host, Rich Zamini. I cover the Jets for ESPN. A week ago, the Jets caught lightning in a bottle in Cleveland. This week, that bottle probably isn't worth a nickel at the local recycling center. Things change quickly in the NFL, and the Jets are coming off a 27-12 loss at home to Cincinnati. The Jets are 0-2 at MetLife. Two lackluster performances, one touchdown in two games. And for the season, they've played 180 minutes of football and they've led only 22 seconds of that. And that's, of course, the final 22 seconds of the Cleveland Miracle. We're going to get into the most recent game and a look ahead to the Steelers. First, I want to mention our guest this week, Mike Westoff former great special teams coach with the Jets for so many years and now an author. He has a new book out. Looking forward to talking to Mike about that and about the current Jets. And let's talk about the current Jets right now. You know, we could go half full and say, let me ask this question. How many of you, honestly, would have signed up for a one and two start knowing you were going to have a backup quarterback for those three games? I bet you some, uh, I bet you quite a few of you would have taken that, you know, and that's where the Jets are as we get get ready to welcome Zach Wilson back into the lineup this week. At least it appears to be heading in that direction. The reality, though, isn't always the half full situation, and the the team does have some issues. We're going to get into that. To me, they're still lacking an identity on offense. This is supposed to be a run first, balanced offense. And they just haven't been that. Joe Flacco has 155 pass attempts. Think about that for a second. 37-year-old backup has 155 passes. That is too much stress on him. That is too much stress on an offensive line that has been dealing with some moving parts. It's just not good. Now, I know, obviously, we just mentioned it a minute ago that they've been playing a lot of catch-up. But that's still no reason for 155. Mike LaFleur has been a little too pass-happy, and he's got to figure out a way to get these young running backs more involved in the offense. Another thing that's a head-scratcher is where's the tight end usage? The offseason, training camp, we're talking so much about how the Jets were going to use these two new tight ends, Tyler Conklin and C.J. Uzama. And so far, Uzama's been invisible. And now Conklin does lead the team with 18 receptions. But let me remind you, 11 of those have come in the fourth quarter in which the Jets were passing on almost every down and trying to catch up. So uh, very curious strategy there. They have not gotten these tight ends involved. The defense, to me, has been a bigger disappointment than the offense. This is a mostly veteran group. And I really expected this defense to carry the flag during the early portion of the year as the offense 
which is so young at the skill positions, was going to go through their growing pains. That hasn't been the case. And to be quite honest, I think this defense is underachieving a little bit. You know, there's been missed tackles, you know, Jordan Whitehead, uh, bad penalties, John Franklin Myers, blown coverages that chase the Jamar Chase touchdown. They left him wide open. Looked like Sauce Gardner was playing zone. Looked like Quincy Williams was in man. Bottom line is nobody covered one of the best receivers in football. An easy six for Cincinnati. So those are dis, you know disappointing aspects of the defense. And I, I think I take away two scenes from Sunday's game. One scene everybody saw. The entire world saw it. Quinnen Williams face-to-face, standing right in front of his position coach, Aaron Whitecotton, and just enraged. Like, Quinnen just snapped. He was erupt. He it was just an eruption. And very unlike Quinnen Williams. And then the other scene that not many people saw was in the locker room afterwards. G, DJ Reed in front of his locker explaining, you know, how they have so many issues on defense. Now, let's talk about the Quinnen situation. Now, the company line was that he was upset that the team wasn't using more four-man rushes on that particular play that set him off. It was a seven-man rush. Um, in fact, the first time that Jeff Ulbrich had caused a seven-man rush all year, it obviously does not work, a 56-yard touchdown by Tyler Boyd. And so Quinnen snaps on the sideline. Now they claim that you know they kissed and made up afterwards, and I'm sure they did. Uh, but what set Quinnen off? Was it just the mere fact that they called a seven-man rush there? Well, obviously not. You'd have to be naive to believe that. Obviously, White Cotton said something to Quinnen that didn't sit well with the big defensive tackle. He was out of character. Uh, I actually had, during the game, a Super Bowl-winning executive texted me and said how taken aback he was watching the game live and seeing a player go off on one of his coaches. He... He just said he was taken aback by it. And I think a lot of people were. Now, I know some players said, well, this sort of thing happens all the time in the NFL. Well, not really. You don't see that kind of anger on a sideline of a game, uh, you know, maybe a couple of times a year, but nothing to that extent. So Quinnen was hot. Now, the, the main question here is, was this an isolated incident, incident or the symptom of something bigger? I don't know the answer to that question. My gut tells me that it was more isolated than anything. I think we're probably going to have to wait over time to see that. But uh, it was it was quite alarming. And, you know, I was a little surprised by Robert Salas response. He he almost like condoned it. I mean, he said, you know, you don't want people jawing on the sideline, but he said he welcomed Quinn's fire and his passion. I don't know. Maybe I'm old school. I, I just. I don't want my players yelling at coaches, especially when the entire world is watching. Now, the DJ Reed situation after the game, he just said it was unacceptable. The number of mental errors the team is making. Um, so that that, too, is a bit surprising. He basically said they need to sit down and have a heart to heart with the coaches and players and sit down and hash out some of their communication issues. Again, not something that happens a lot. So that, to me, is a bit of a red flag. If if a veteran player like DJ Reed, who's been in winning organizations like Seattle and San Francisco, is coming out after three games and making that suggestion, well, that tells me there's something going on there. Like I said, this is a veteran group on defense. The only rookie who's really playing a lot 
is Sauce Gardner. Uh, they're just not playing as a team. Uh, this defensive line, you know, which is one of the highest paid defensive lines in the league, they're 27th in pressure percentage. Only one of them has a only two guys on the line have uh, full sacks, Quinnen Williams and, and Sheldon Rankins. Um, the defense, the third down defense has just been awful, awful. Three touchdowns against Cincinnati, all on third down. The Jets have given up 10 touchdowns total this season. Seven of them have been on third down. That is the money down. That's where you have to win your one-on-one matchups. Robert Sala says that all the time from day one in training camp. Third down is the money down. That's where players are evaluated. That's where defenses are judged by how they play on third down. And right now, the Jets aren't playing worth a damn. Now, I want to point out, it's only three games. And they are actually doing some good things on defense. Uh, They're sixth in rush defense in terms of yards per carry. So that's good. That's better than last year. They're actually 16th in yards per play, which is much better than last year. So that, too, is encouraging. So it's not it's not a dumpster fire mess on defense. It's just that the few glaring mistakes they made, like leaving a receiver wide open in the end zone for the second week in a row, gets magnified. And, you know, that's really discouraging when you're a home fan and you're sitting in your stadium and you see a guy wide open in the end zone scoring a touchdown that just it just signals that the guys aren't on the same page and they weren't on that play. Uh, but there, like I said, some good things like Joe Burrow went off in the first quarter. He threw for like 163 yards, a career high, but only had 110 passing yards for the remainder of the game. Now, people, why did that happen? Well, the Jets made a really subtle adjustment after the first quarter, after that Boyd touchdown. Um, they sent less pressure. Pressure. They started playing more coverage. They actually adjusted their coverage, the way they were playing with more too high safety and using their corners and combination coverages. It really seemed to throw off the Bengals a little bit. And like I said, Burrow only 110 yards passing over the last 45 minutes of the game. So there were some encouraging signs to come out of it. But again, third downs, blown coverages, communication issues. Robert Sala needs to sit down with his coaches and get this thing together, get this ship tighter, get more of a complimentary plan, get back to your roots on offense, run the ball, balance, play to your defense strength. This defense doesn't function the way it should when it's always in catch-up mode. It's a pass-rushing defense. Tough to pass-rush when teams are running the ball because they're so far ahead. It's all about complimentary football. Now, in a way... I think the season's almost restarting this week. From all indications, it looks like Zach Wilson is going to be back. So after missing three games, after his knee scope, Wilson should be back in the lineup against the Steelers. It's not an ideal place starting on the road against a team that, although they've had their struggles this year, is a traditionally strong team, tough place to play. But my feeling is you got to rip the Band-Aid off. It's going to hurt a little bit. But it's going to hurt whether you rip it off now or next week or the week after. So you might as well do it now. So this is really what the season's all about. More than wins and losses, it's about Zach Wilson's development. So he's going to have 14 games to prove himself as the franchise quarterback of the future. He's going to be rusty. Let's be honest. He's been off for six weeks. A quarterback 
doesn't miss a preseason and doesn't parachute into the regular season and pick up as an elite quarterback, especially a young quarterback like Wilson with very little experience to lean on. So he's going to be rusty. He's going to need support from a run game. He's not going to be able to throw the ball 50 times a game. If they do, he might not make it to the following week. But again, there's renewed hope there that they get back their starting quarterback. It's not going to solve all their issues on offense. They're going to have to help him along the way. But this is what the season's about. It's about Zach Wilson and seeing how he does. And for the Jets' sake, you hope that he could develop steadily, stay healthy as the season goes on. We'll be back right after this. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I'm very excited to welcome in our guest this week. I've known him for a long time. He was the Jets special teams coach from uh, 2001 to uh, 2012. And then he coached with the Saints for a couple of years after that in 17 and 18. And I never told Mike this before, but when I think of Mike, I think of that famous quote from Bum Phillips. It was about Don Shula and the quote, but I think it applies to Mike. He said he can take his players and beat yours, and then he can take yours and beat his. And I think that is coaching excellence in a nutshell. And I always think of you, Mike, uh, when when I hear that quote. So thank you so much, Mike Westoff, for being part of the uh, Flight Deck podcast. <laughs> thank you. That's uh, that's quite an honor for you to say that. I'm, I appreciate that. Um, and you, I'm sure you've heard that quote because you know Don Shula. Oh, yeah, you know, I, I knew it. You know, the way he said it a little bit differently than that. But it was, matter of fact, Bum actually said he can take urine and be his in and take his in and be urine. <laughs> yeah, I was going to skip the Texas twang a little bit. I know because what you mean. <laughs> <laughs> I was you just going to stick her regular English. Thank you. But, you did a good job. No, I um, people would think I'm maybe a little bit arrogant in that. But to tell you the truth, that's how I used to see myself. I used to say, OK, this is what I have. And I would look at my roster and I said, who are they going to trade for? Who do they want? Well, maybe they don't have him. Who do I want? I said, okay, now you got to find a way to beat those guys. Cause you know, I don't have there. I used to have a sign. Matter of fact, I talked about it in the book, a sign in my office that said that you can't win with the players you don't have. Hmm. And I used to believe that. I mean, I didn't have Devin Hester. Well, so what? We had nine different guys with the jets that led the national football league in returns. I'm extremely, extremely proud of that. And you mentioned the book. It's called Figure It Out, My 32-Year Journey While special, uh, Revolutionizing Pro Football Special Teams. I've read it. I encourage every Jet fan to read it because it's not only about football. It's about your life, which is so fascinating and has had some drama in it, to be quite honest. I don't know what fans know this, but you're a cancer survivor um, you know, you were diagnosed when you were 40 years old, and I, I know you've had surgeries and chemo, and it's just an amazing story of perseverance. First of all, let me ask you, figure it out. Where does the title come from? Okay, it, that, that's that's a good question. Um, it was really easy for me because as I was doing this, and even back, I, I could, kept saying to myself, well, figure it out. I got I, I to, gotta, what should I write here? I don't figure it out, Mike. And next thing you know, I thought, well, that's what the title of this book should be. Figure it out. Because that's what, what I had to do 
you know, when I walked into that job in 1982 with the Baltimore Colts, you know, I'm the tight ends coach. I was a strength coach, believe it or not, till I finally got somebody to help me there. And uh, assistant head coach, I did everything. Uh, and all of a sudden, Frank Cush was going to fire our special teams coach. He, by fact, he, he, he really should have, because the guy was terrible, to tell you the truth. But, mm-hmm. And I kept saying, I said, oh, Frank, don't do that. You know, give him, help him. He's doing too much. That I said, let me help. I'll, and I, ended up, I said, well, I'll take it over. Well, way to go, Mike, because I didn't know anything about it. And so then all of a sudden, I had to figure it out. So I started studying. Remember, that was during the strike. Remember, the players had that strike in 1982. Yeah. Well, right. I had about, you know, a, month, a six-week time period to figure it out. So I started studying. And I thought, well, what's your philosophy? And I thought, well, okay, in coverage, uh, uh, let's let's break everything down to offense and defense. So I'm going to cover kicks. Well, what kind of defensive coach am I? I said, well, I like the blitz. So I went in and sat down with Bud Carson, one of the brightest defensive coaches in history. Right. Remember the, the Pittsburgh Steeler, sure. you know, steel curtain guy. I said, Bud, teach me the perimeters of blitzing. Though so I designed my coverage based on those perimeters. Okay, so now I'm going to return the ball. Well, what, what do I know? Well, I'm an offensive line coach. Oh, I know how to run an off-tackle play. I know how to double team, how to trap, da-da-da-da-da. So I came up with that. And then, you know, th- then as I realized what I learned very quickly after that, two things. <clears throat> One there was basically no regulation. You could pretty much do anything you wanted. So I thought, well, what the hell? I'll try everything. And then also I I learned very quickly that if I'm smart, I I kind of have a timeout before every play. So if I can get really good at drawing things and being being very specific, I can show everybody what to do. So instead of having two kickoff returns, I can have 12. And I can look at you in the huddle and say, all right, remember, Rich, now this time, you're da, 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 and you will not make a mistake. And that's what I did. And I think I perfected it and it just transformed. And the next thing you know, we were pretty good. That's amazing. So just by pure happenstance, you become a special teams coach. Yes. You turned it into a dominating career. And then just only a few years ago, you were awarded the, you know, the Paul Zimmerman award by the pro football writers association for a lifetime of uh, coaching excellence, which, so that's an amazing story and you've you've worked with some of the greatest people in in football history maybe you could talk i mean don shula i mean dan marino can you maybe talk about some of the people who've had the biggest influences on you oh yeah well it goes back to when i was young you know with my father who was a great minor pittsburgh athlete i mean he had a a full football he would play to central catholic where dan went to school marino in fact marino broke my father's city of pittsburgh records Dan, dan broke them my father held them. And my, my, so my dad had a full scholarship at the University of Miami. He had baseball contracts from the Red Sox and the Yankees. Well, my dad was just a city kid. He didn't want to go anywhere. He got married when he was real young. And, and so, you know, but, but he had a big influence on me. My high school coach, we had, he had a big influence. People I met in college. Lee Corso gave me an opportunity. Lee gave me a chance. It wasn't, it wasn't like he promised me, Rich. Lee, <laughs> Lee told me, look, I've got a little bit of money. And I'll get you in-state tuition in graduate school. Well, I didn't get in-state tuition. <laughs> and, and I didn't get any money. But what I did get, I got a chance. He gave me an opportunity. And I made the most of it. The next thing you know, I'm coaching with Don Shula. I get Frank Cush. Frank Cush gave me an opportunity. And then, then Don Shula comes along. And, you know, he's the, he's the brightest of the bright. I mean, yeah. like I, I talked about in the book, 
he wasn't the head coach of the Miami Dolphins. He was the head coach in the National Football League. Nothing, right. nothing went on that didn't go through him. Nothing. So I learned a lot. And then Jimmy Johnson came along and I picked up some things from him, the draft, which Jimmy was very good at. You know, that was his real expertise. And then, then you know, I just moved along in my profession with having, you know, been in touch with these kind of people. Then the people that came along by accident, you know, Woody Hayes, Bob Knight, Bear Bryant, you know, Al Davis. And, and so all of a sudden, you know, Bill Walsh, you know, I, I'm able to learn from these great, great individuals. And that molded my career and, and, and my history. So I'm very, very proud. But I was also, Rich, very fortunate to have had those opportunities. Very fortunate. Yeah. I mean, you talk about it. You just named off a who's who of coaching. And, <laughs> I did. And, and, you, and the title of the book is accurate. You revolutionized special teams. Uh, just looking at your time with the Jets, because obviously we have a Jets audience here. Uh, is there anything you're most proud of that you did with the Jets, uh, special teams wise? I mean, it's amazing. I, I looked it up. You guys made the playoffs six times That's during right. your during your tenure with the Jets. Uh, a lot of success. Anything you're most proud of? Sure, should have been seven. Don't forget when Brett Favre was there at one right. time. We 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 were eight and three. Right. We were eight, and we ended up nine and seven. You know when Brett got hurt, uh, so it should have been another one. No, I I love the I love New York. I love the fans. I love my time there. I love walking through Penn Station with people yelling. I, I love that crowd coming out on that field in front of those Jets fans. And we were good. We were a good football team. I loved it. I mean, it was just a time of my life. Um, I look back, and those were the, probably the best, the first, especially the first ten years. The best ten years of my life took mm -hmm. place in New York for a number of reasons. But all that, I just loved it. But the thing that I feel most proud of is that I was able to contribute to a point of viability that I believe it made the difference from us getting into the playoffs and not getting into the playoffs. I don't believe that if we hadn't been as successful a special teams unit, we didn't win the game, but, but we helped win a lot of football games. And that put us in the playoffs. And I'm extremely proud of that. I mean, I, I remember we used to go up to New England and I'm thinking, you know, all right, this is New England. They got Tom Brady, you know, this guy's. I said, but yeah, you know, they got to kick off the Leon Washington. So, okay, we'll find out because I'm, I'm going to win this part. I'm going to win this part of the game. And that's what I really believed in. And, and, and then it carried over to the type of guys we got, the players we had. I mean, there's a couple of times, Rich, I, I had like an all-star team. I mean, I love those guys. You remember Chris Hayes back sure. in the day. And then you go through with, you know, Kenyatta Wright, who I wrote about and the great return guys. I mean, at one time, I think it was in 2002 or three, uh, we were, we were I, toward the end of the year, I was doing a, one of my, my game plan and, I, and I'm writing things down. I looked, okay, Santana Moss was leading the league in punt returns. Chad Morton was leading the league in kickoff returns. Oh, and by the way, Chad Morton was second in the league in punt returns. We had, to, who, who's ever going to break that record? I mean, we had, we, these guys were really good. And what we did was viable, incredible. And it helped us win games. And I'm so proud. And I also like the physical part that we were. I mean, you had to play against James Ahitabo. <laughs> you better tighten your helmet. Because yeah. this guy was tough. And that's who we were. And then I, I loved it. And I'll always cherish it. And I'm, I, I'm disappointed. You know, we went to the championship games. I'm disappointed we couldn't get to the Super Bowl. But I'm also even more disappointed that we changed our philosophy 
And all of a sudden, you know, because we were the, don't forget, Rex's first two years. We led the league in rushing. Right. We led the league. Remember Bill Callahan was our coach. And we had a great coaching staff. You know, Anthony Lynn was on the staff. I had one of the top two or three teams in the league. And on defense, we were in the top three or four or five. That's where, who we were. All of a sudden, you know, we're going to be the New England's New England Patriots South Branch. You know, mm-hmm. and we're we're letting Alan Fanica go and we're signing Plexico Burris. I, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I just can't. It, we changed our philosophy. And that to me was uh, was extremely frustrating. So what? Yeah, I just wanted to ask you about it. So 2010, the Jets go to the championship game. They lose in Pittsburgh, where, where they're going to be this weekend. And it's been 11 years. It's an 11 year drought that the Jets haven't been back to the postseason. Why do you think that is? That's a good. Well, I think it started with changing the whole philosophy. Right. You know, we, we got in salary cap issues after that group. We lost 14 players. You can't. Those those guys were. You know, look at our offensive line. You know, the Brickishaw Ferguson, Alan Fanick, he's in the Hall of Fame, by the way. Nick Mangold, Damian Woody. Oh, and we've got Laverne and we've got LaDamian Thomas and carrying the ball. Yeah. I mean, come on. This was a good group. Yeah. And on defense, you got Darrell Rivas. Yeah. You know, and I had an all-star team. So we were, we were, and all of a sudden, that whole makeup changed. We just changed everything. Yeah, we weren't, and Mark Sanchez was our quarterback. No disrespect. He managed that team fine. Did he, when we signed him to a new contract, I couldn't understand it. I, mean, I remember Mike telling me one time, he said, I said, why did you do this? Because this wrecked a lot of things. And he said, well, that's what a championship game quarterback is paid. I said, well, if he had anything to do with us getting there, I, I'd probably agree with you, but I really <laughs> don't. I said, he was on the bus, but he was never driving the bus. And that's what we lost sight of. Right. And the next thing you know, we became a different team. Then all of a sudden, you know, I think the whole management of the team changed and they, yeah. they started bringing in. I remember it was a few years ago, Rich, I was watching a game and I thought to myself, you know, I'm not sure I see five football players on that field that could have played on our really good teams. Yeah. Because when I walked in there back in 2001, you know, that was a team that Bill Belichick and, and Bill Parcells put together. Yeah. You know I mean? That was a good football team. Yeah. So it, uh you know, we just had a, an all-star team. Kevin Mawise, our center. Curtis Martin's our running back. You know, Vinny Testaverde's our quarterback. Santana Moss, Lavernius Coles, Wayne Corbett. Come on. You can <laughs> win with those guys. You that's should it. win with them. That's that's what was so great about those teams, Rich. And it dramatically changed. Now, hopefully, it's headed back in that direction, but it's a slow climb. It's a slow climb. I think Jet fans would agree with that. And, you know, they're off to a one and two start this year. I know you popped in in training camp, for, you know, to visit practice. And uh, so you got a bird's eye view. What's your, you know, one and two, you know, of course, this being the NFL, they lost last weekend. So the world is ending, you know, the, the fans, you know, how fans are. Right. Uh, but uh, so what do you think the Jets are moving in the right direction? I mean, it's a one and two start with the backup quarterback. So what do you think of this current group? Okay. Um, what I saw, I liked, I, I liked the head coach. I think he's, I think he's really trying to do a good job. I saw a football team with some really good players. I liked the way they practiced. I thought they practiced very well. So I saw a good group. What I didn't see, I saw a lot of guys. Let's, let's analogize with baseball. I saw a lot of guys that, that, that can get base hits. Mm-hmm. I, I, I didn't see Aaron judge hitting home runs. I didn't see that guy. I didn't see any home run hitters. Right. You know, I just didn't see it. 
So I'm trying to think, okay, who's the guy that's going to hit a home run for this team? I'm, I'm not so sure. I don't know if I see him. And to tell you the truth, I haven't seen him yet. I just haven't. So I don't see that. So, But what they can do, they've got to take that team and kind of, you know, figure out what you have to do. The game that when they beat Cleveland, okay, right. a lot of people contributed in that win. They sacked the quarterback when they had to. They threw a they threw a fake punt that led to a score. Right. That helped them. Don't forget that play. They recovered yeah. an onside kick. They had a couple picks. You know, they they all kind of chipped in and helped win the game. That's what they have to do to win. Everybody's got to be a part. You got to take a couple chances. You have to do some things because I don't see, you know, we're, we're not waiting for the guy to hit the 61st home run. That's not happening with the Jets. It's not. Yeah, that's a great analogy. I never even thought of it that way, but you're right. You know, and and they have to play complimentary football. Like yes. they did it, you know, in the Cleveland game was just a great example of that. Yes. Here, here's an amazing stat. I want to throw this one past you and get your take. It, it came up during the telecast on Sunday. You know, the Jets have trailed in 22 straight games. They have not led wire to wire since the time in the 2020 season where they upset upset the Rams in uh in los angeles 22 straight games in which they've trailed when you hear something like that what does that tell you it just goes right back to what i believe they 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 don't have the home run hitter you know they have to pick away little by little by little and and that's a that that's a long road to hoe plus the fact that you know at the quarterback position you know I, when i used to evaluate personnel rich the way i did it i would look at my roster and i'd say okay I'm, I'm now going to be the uh, Miami Dolphins and I'm with the New York Jets. I'd say, who do they want from me? Who are they going to trade for? Well, I know one thing. I don't think there's too many teams in the National Football League that for a long time have would trade for the New York Jets quarterback. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not gonna, They're just not going to do it, Rich. It's not going to happen. Look right. around the league. Look around the league. Now, can this guy, can, can, can a young kid come in and do it? I don't know. You hope so, but I, I don't know that. Mm-hmm. And, and so – that's what they haven't had. And until you get that, you're going to have these kind of fights. You're going to be behind. You're going to trail. We don't have that guy. I mean, you look at uh, uh, what with the game, the Buffalo-Miami uh, game the other day. Mm-hmm. Allen should have been sacked 100 times because that right tackle for Buffalo, he couldn't block me. <laughs> he, I'm serious. He, yeah. That poor guy. You know, they're banged up. Their offensive line was banged up. But he kept. he would escape and move around and make the big play. The Jets are, haven't even been close to that type of guy. Because right. if you don't go, just get on the phone and call 31 teams and say, we want to trade. Oh, thank you. Nice talking to you, Mike. Goodbye. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's the reality. All right, before we wrap up, I want to do something fun here. I'm going to look. There's a bunch of characters in your book, like people you've crossed paths with. I'm going to mention the person's name. And I want you to give me like the first thing that pops into your head, just a couple of sentences on each guy okay. because they're, <laughs> you, you cover them all in the book and there's, and there's great anecdotes in the book on each of these people. So I want to try to cover as much as we can and I'll throw out a name and you tell me like, like kind of a word association. So we'll start <laughs> okay. with uh, uh, Don Shula. He's first and no one was second. I, that says it all right there. <laughs> Jimmy Johnson. Great draft and team builder. Great team builder. Average X and O guy, but incredible team builder. Bill Belichick. A great coach. Doesn't need all the BS that he's got involved in. Mm-hmm. Okay. And he's, Dan Marino. And he's guilty. Okay. Good one. And he's uh, guilty Dan, of it. 
Dan Marino, Dan Marino. Just in my humble opinion, the best quarterback that ever played in the National Football League. I know you can't make that because of the Super Bowl, but I'll I'll argue it. He's the best that ever played in the game. Yeah, he might be the best pure passer I've ever seen. I uh, mean, he that's, he that's part of it. He just could throw the ball like no one else. Uh, Herman Edwards. Not totally prepared to be an NFL head coach. Had no clue of situations in game man and clock management. Okay. Eric Mangini. A shame. Because if he a little, and in a little more time, when he matured, he's a good, solid football coach. But his his antics and the way he treated people when he first got started was really out of whack. I I would have loved to seen him get to see him get another chance, even as an assistant. If I were a head coach, I would hire him. Hmm, interesting. Rex Ryan. The craziness in the media was not at all what he was really like. Rex was a good, solid guy. People don't quite understand that. And a brilliant defensive coach. I like working with Rex Ryan, very much so. Hmm. Woody Johnson. Sometimes, every once in a while, he lets his heart get in the way. And he becomes a little bit of a fan. Woody's an incredible owner who I respect and love. And I think he's he deserves the best. Every now and then, he kind of lets things go. And I wish he would just stick with his head and not his heart because he's he's a good man. Interesting. Uh, Bill Parcells. I had a great relationship and it ended like crap because Bill could be the most miserable guy in America. And it's a shame because he's a brilliant coach and he was a good friend. And what he ended up doing with me was ridiculous. And I have, I have not had any contact with him and that's probably a good thing for him. And just so the readers know that um, the listeners know this, Mike got into this in the book a little bit. This, that all stemmed from a, uh, when you actually were in retirement for a brief time and you went to a, a Miami Dolphins practice. I was on a then, medical, I was on a medical leave of absence. Right. Yeah. And I, and I went to a practice in, I shouldn't have done it. I didn't know it. But one thing I wasn't doing, Rich, I didn't go over there to cheat. Mm-hmm. And he shouldn't have written that, written that crummy letter that he did. And yeah. I, I won't swear on the air because you know how I feel. Yeah. Okay. Just so the fans knew that in background. Again, you can get this in the book. It's great stuff in the book. Really? I encourage everyone to get it. One last name I want to throw out to you, Tim Tebow. It's a shame. It's a shame what happened. And in some ways, it's a disgrace. Tim Tebow is not a bona fide NFL quarterback. He's just not. Ask, ask Bill Belichick. He'll tell you. Mm. But what he really, I think, could have done a great job for us was to be a multi-purpose guy, a wildcat quarterback. I am the only one it kept my part of the bargain. I used him in that role and he was excellent. Excellent. I love the kid. Do I want him as my quarterback? Absolutely no. Do I want him as a hardcore special teams player? No. In a multi-purpose role? Yes. Give him a chance. Our offense never did that. Mm. Well, there you have it. I mean, Mike West, one of the reasons I love covering Mike all these years is that he was just, he was just honest. You know, some coaches just feed you the BS and to be politically correct, Mike was always honest. We always appreciated that in the media because he would just tell it like it is. And he would share stuff. I remember remember when Chad Morton had the two kickoff returns, you know, in Buffalo and one sure. was in overtime to, you know, it's an amazing ending to the game, a kickoff return touchdown. The next day, Mike allowed me to go into his office and he broke down the play on his video board and to me, as a as a young journalist, that was an incredible experience, and I always I always appreciated that, Mike. I don't know if I said thank you enough for oh, that, but did. that Rich, made for a heck of a story, and and I've always appreciated that the over thing, the years. The thing that was easy for me dealing with you guys is, see, I respect the media, 
oh, yeah, there's times I want to kill everybody, but I respect the job. And so I believe that you deserve an honest and a full answer. And I try to do that every single time. Well, for fans, I encourage you to get it. It's called Figure It Out, My 32-Year Journey While Revolutionizing, Revolutionizing Pro Football Special Teams. It's written by Mike Westoff and with some help from Barry Wilner, the former NFL AP writer who yes. helped out Mike and who's a great guy, just recently retired. And so I encourage everyone to go out. This Jet fans will just eat this up. You will read this and you will breeze through it because it's just chock full of great anecdotes. Mike Westoff, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. Uh, Rich, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, Barry did a nice job for me. He conducted the interviews and that really helped me. So I'm proud of the book and thank you for talking about it, Rich. I always appreciate you. All right. Thanks, Mike. Have a good one. Okay. Bye. And it's Twitter time. You've got the questions. I've got the answers. At Beeman2010, why didn't Mike White get a shot in the second half against the Bengals? He couldn't have been worse than Flacco. David, how quickly we forget. And it was virtually the same situation as it was a week earlier where Flacco led arguably the greatest comeback in franchise history. I would think that would be the quarterback you'd want in that situation. He had been there, done that. Now, obviously, we have 2020 hindsight here. He did not play well on Sunday against the Bengals, but they did have a chance at the end to cut it to a one-possession game. We saw the Corey Davis personal foul really screw up that opportunity, but I agree with the decision to stick with Flacco. I think it would, would have been just a panic move to go with Mike White. At Marky B, why is the defense so complicated, and how long... Will Jeff Ulbricht keep his job? Well, here's the thing, Marky. Uh, the defense is not complicated. The coaches have been telling us for over a year that this defense is built on simplicity. They want to keep it simple so the players can play fast and not have to think a lot, not be overburdened with X's and O's. And that is a great philosophy. I mean, if you have the talent, the horses, to do that, sure, why not? They're not trying to confuse opponents. They're just trying to play to their strengths, do what they do well. So that's why when players like DJ Reed come out and say that maybe the defense needs to be simplified, you kind of scratch your head a little bit because this defense is basically as simple as it's going to get. Now, Salah did admit on Monday that maybe they could do a better job of scaling back some of the checks they have, meaning the audibles. So I think maybe you'll see that this week with the hope of eliminating some of those communication errors. At, at, and as for Albrick, look, I, I, has he done a great job over the last year or so? No, obviously the statistics show that, but I don't see his role changing anytime soon. If Salah throws him overboard, that would be a clear indication that Salah is worried about his own job security, and I don't think we're close to that point. It's only three games. And the next question comes from Jerry Aldini, and his question is, uh, Rich, the Bengals are horrible against cover two. Why didn't the Jets use it more often? I think PFF, the uh, analytics website, had the Jets using cover two only one play in the game. Now, that's a little bit complicated because there are different shades of gray here. Some teams have different interpretations of cover two. Robert Sala said on Monday that they actually used two high safeties on 90% of the snaps um, their version of cover two. So I think the numbers get a little bit twisted. The Jets, I don't think the whole cover two thing was a factor in this game. The Jets did play 
a lot of too high safety. Next question from at Mikey 0516. His question is, why are they playing Elijah Moore out wide instead of Garrett Wilson? Moore can't catch those 50-50 balls. It seems like Moore is better suited for the slot. I agree. I think Elijah Moore was a fantastic slot receiver at Ole Miss. The Jets do not see him that way. They use him in the X position, which is the split end spot. That's where they want to use him. They use Garrett Wilson and Berrios in the slot. And, uh, you know, I think Moore can be more productive by moving him around. Now, it should be noted that he is getting open. If you look at the separation numbers on the analytics, he is among the league leaders in separation from defender. It's just that they're not getting the ball to him. I think that is a mistake. He's he's too good a player not to be involved in the offense. Next one from at Smoke42. I thought the D-line was supposed to be amazing. Why are they so ineffective? Uh, great question. Now, they, they are sixth against the rush based on per carry. So that's a good thing. But you're right. The, the defense has not made an impact, the, the defensive line. One of the reasons is because they're always playing catch-up. So they're not going to be able to unleash their pass rushing ability. I think Quinn Williams is having a good year. He's got a one and a half sacks. I think Carl Lawson, while it may not be obvious, he actually is the league leader in pressure percentage. So that's something. But other than that, I mean, there's not much else. JFM's off to a slow start. He had the killer penalty on Sunday. Jermaine Johnson has flashed against the run, but not much in the way of pass rush. So, yeah. The, the line is underachieving. There's no question about it. At Kevin, 747-747, if George Fant is going to be out a while, what are your thoughts about moving Elijah Vera Tucker to left tackle and starting Herbig at right guard? First of all, I don't think Fant is going to be out a while. I do think there's a chance he may not play Sunday against the Steelers, but it didn't sound on Monday as if IR was going to be a possibility. So I think you may have Connor uh, Connor McDermott at left tackle Sunday. That is a scary proposition, but uh, it's probably maybe for a week. Dwayne Brown is eligible to come back next week from IR. And like I said, I don't think Fant is going to be out a long time. We all know AVT did play left tackle in his last season at Southern Cal. I think out of more more necessity than anything. I think he could do it if he had a training camp to work on it. But shifting in the middle of the season, not a good idea. You're probably weakening two positions. And they actually have a good thing. The interior of their line, those three positions, has a lot of potential. I don't think they want to break that up. Uh, in an emergency type situation. And another question from Matt, Matt Romano, 19. Rich, you've been part of the jet beat for a long time. How does reporting nowadays on the world of Twitter compare to what it was like previously? Does the job change with the ability to share news, reaction, and thoughts so easily and frequently? And yes, Matt, it absolutely does. It has changed the way we do our business and in, in good ways and in bad ways. It, the good part is you can react instantly and, and, and enlighten fans and entertain fans with analysis and information. You can interact with fans, which I enjoy doing at times. The downside is I think some folks in our business are so determined to be first with stories that sometimes they sacrifice accuracy and you cannot do that in our business. They'll post stories before checking them out and then realizing later that the story is not 100% accurate. And that's a bad thing. That is a bad trend uh, for social media. So it, it is, 
you are living on the edge. Like what happened to me in the Cleveland game? The Jets looked like they were going to lose. I tweeted that they're a poor fourth quarter team. What happens? They come back and they win. And maybe that tweet ends up on a freezing cold takes one day. I don't know. I've been there before, but that's the uh, that's the beauty and the curse of Twitter. You're putting yourself out there. Your name is on it. You have to take accountability. You have to take the heat when it goes bad. You get to take a bow when it goes right. But it's the world we live in. It's changed dramatically. Let's talk about Sunday. The Jets are at the Steelers. Steelers, these are not the usual Steelers. They they are struggling in the post-Roethlisberger era. Uh, you know, but they are coming off the mini-buy, so they'll be rested. They'll be at home. It's a place the Jets do not play well. In fact, in Jet history, they've won only one game in Pittsburgh. That was a regular season game in 2010. Now, yes, Pittsburgh has some quarterback situation situation there. Mitch Trubisky, let's be honest, he's been atrocious so far. Uh, Kenny Pickett's going to get in there, their first-round pick, and he's going to get in there pretty soon, I think. It's inevitable. Does it happen Sunday if Trubisky has a bad half? I think that will be a fascinating story to watch. Now, the Jets went through something like this in 2018. They were the team that welcomed Baker Mayfield to the NFL. He comes off the bench for the first time in his career, rallies Cleveland to a win in that night game, and then basically sent Baker on his way. So interesting quarterback situation. The Steelers don't have TJ Watt, but they do have Alex Highsmith, who's got four and a half sacks, and they do have an exotic pressure package which could cause major problems for the Jets' offensive line. If Zach Wilson plays, it's not a great spot for him. Um, it's a difficult defense to read and diagnose. Not let's say, let's say nothing of being behind an offensive line that could be hampered and compromised. So if Zach Wilson gets the nod on Sunday, it's going to be an extremely difficult spot for him. So that's why I'm going to pick Steelers here, 24-13. Tough one for the Jets, but they do get their quarterback back. Presumably, we'll see. Let's hope he's back. And it's something to build on for the following week when the Jets have to host the red-hot Miami Dolphins. Well, thanks to Mike Westoff for joining Flight Deck this week. Thanks for Jeff, to Jeff Scopin for putting it all together. Enjoy the game on Sunday. I'll be in Pittsburgh. I'll be back to talk about it next week on Flight Deck. Flight Deck.